Your memory isn't perfect. It's patchy and bit part. We know our brains aren't video cameras. They don't meticulously record and store everything we experience. They're more like sieves, forgetting the irrelevant bits, but tending to remember the significant moments. For example, try to remember your last holiday. Chances are you'll remember the most or least enjoyable parts of that holiday, whether that's celebrating your birthday on the beach or that feeling when your luggage went missing. Or if nothing significant happened, you'll probably remember the final moments of the holiday, the last part, the final meal or the last day. This is due to something called the peak end rule. The peak end rule is a psychological bias that helps explain what our brains remember. And today, I'm going to use the peak end bias to grow my podcast and to run an ultra marathon. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Hello, everyone. I'm Phil Agnew, and you are listening to Nudge, the podcast that reveals how our brains work. So let's dig in to the peak end rule. The peak end rule was first documented by the Nobel Prize winning behaviour scientist Daniel Kahneman. In 1993, Kahneman and his colleague Donald Riddlemeyer ran a trial among colonoscopy patients. If you're unfamiliar with a colonoscopy, it involves a doctor inserting a flexible camera into your rectum to look for inflamed tissue. As you can probably already imagine, it's an unpleasant experience and pain levels vary according to how much the camera moves. Kahneman, somehow, recruited volunteers for his colonoscopy experiment and gave them handheld devices to record their pain levels every 60 seconds throughout the procedure. The 628 volunteers were randomly assigned to one of two conditions. In the first, they followed the standard procedure, where the camera moved around for about 15 minutes, causing discomfort throughout. The second scenario began identically to the first, with also 15 minutes of the same moderate level of pain. 
But then came the peak and twist. Right at the end of the procedure, the surgeon held the camera perfectly still for an additional three minutes. Keeping the camera still was less painful than moving it around, but it still meant an extra three minutes of mild discomfort. Kahneman then asked all the patients to rate their experience. Now, logic suggests that the second experience should be deemed worse. After all, the only difference between the two procedures was that the second one had an additional three minutes of discomfort. 15 minutes of pain versus 18 minutes of pain? Well, we should all prefer the shorter procedure. But that wasn't the opinion of the patients. Because that final three minutes for the second group was only mildly painful, they rated the longer 18-minute procedure as 10% less painful overall. More importantly, they were 10% more likely to return for another colonoscopy. That's the peak end rule in action. A slightly less painful end experience dulled the participants' perception of how painful the whole procedure was and gave them the irrational view that the longer experience was better. It's weird, right? And it got me thinking. I wonder if I could use the peak-end rule to help me get in shape, to help me run more, and maybe even attempt to run an ultra-marathon. So, I signed up for a challenge, something I'd never done before. It was a 56-kilometre run, taking me from West London, down through the suburbs, over the North Downs, finishing in Crawley, a town that's about an hour's drive away from the city of London. Now, the furthest I had run before signing up to this event was just over a half marathon, 30 kilometres. This race was 26 kilometres further than I have ever run before, and around six hours of painful running in total. But hey, I had the peak end rule to help me out. See, to train for an event as long and as difficult as this, you basically need to run a lot. You need to get the miles in. Running decent distances almost every single day is vital. That's the only way you can prepare your body. I needed to make running regularly seem appealing. I needed to trick my brain into wanting to run long distances. So I used the peak end rule. I started to make sure that the final parts of my runs were always as pleasurable as I could make them, even if it meant I wouldn't get much physical benefit. I'd finish a long 10k run with a really slow and easy trot up and down my road. And I'd finish a hard 5k sprinting session with another slow jog around the park, something very easy to relax my body. I was hoping this peak end application would make the run seem easier and more pleasurable, giving me the motivation to run the following day. It felt like it worked. After trying it a couple of times, I felt like I was enjoying the run more, and I definitely felt more motivated to get out and run the following day. But to make sure it really worked, I decided to run an A-B test. On some runs, I'd give myself a nice, slow, peak-end finish, while on other runs, I'd stop right away. To apply some validity to this anecdotal evidence, I started recording my runs, stating how long they were, how fast I went, and crucially, whether I did this slow, enjoyable peak and finish. Then I rated each run, giving it a score from 1 to 5. 1 meant I thought the run was easy and felt ready to go again. 5 meant I thought the run was very hard. 
I did this for around 30 of my training runs and you can see all of this data yourself by signing up for the mailing list. Just head down to the show notes, sign up for the mailing list and you'll get taken to a page with all this detail. And if you've already signed up prior to this episode, then check your emails. There'll be a button in that email to see all of these resources. So after 30 runs, I really started to feel like these peak end runs had helped. But I also had data that seemed to back it up. On average, I gave the peak end runs with their slow and easy finishes a difficulty score of 1.76 out of 5. While my other runs with the ordinary fast finishes, which is how I was running up until this point, well I ranked those at a difficulty of 3.41. So I found the peak end runs almost two times more enjoyable than the normal runs. What surprised me though was the distances I was running. Despite ranking those peak end runs as being much easier, I was actually running much more. On average, the peak end runs were around six kilometers longer than those normal runs. And yet I was ranking them as being less difficult. Ultimately, The peak end rule helped me run longer, more regularly, and with more enjoyment, massively helping my training. Most of all, it really helped me prepare for this mammoth 56 kilometer race. I'd never run that far before, but still, with this peak end training, I felt confident on the day. I felt like I'd put the hours in and I felt like I could do it. So we set off around 6.30 a.m., The first 10k were really idyllic, running down the Thames as the sun rose, and then getting through the 20 and 30 kilometre line felt fine. But things started to really hurt around 35 kilometres when we went over the North Down Hills. Then after 42k, everything hurt and I swore I would never do anything like it again. But I kept going. Before the peak end training, I wasn't even sure if I'd be able to finish this race. But I did finish it, and out of 102 participants, I ended up finishing second. Not bad, considering it was my first attempt at anything like that, and undoubtedly it was made easier with that peak end training. Okay, so the peak end rule has been proven in the lab by Daniel Kahneman. It's helped my running, but will it work for businesses? Well, Richard Schotten thinks so. He wrote about a hotel mentioned in the book Power of Moments, that utilises the peak end rule. The Magic Castle Hotel is ranked by TripAdvisor as the second best hotel in Los Angeles. An impressive 94% of the 3,000 reviews rated it as very good or excellent. But this is kind of surprising because there really wasn't anything special about the actual hotel. It's got dated decor, a small swimming pool, a run-of-the-mill gym, And it comes at quite a cost, at $300 a night. So what is Magic Castle's secret? Well, it applies the peak end rule. It doesn't create a uniform experience. Instead, it focuses on one outstanding moment. They call it the Popsicle Helpline. Anytime, day or night, you can pick up an old-fashioned red phone by the swimming pool and dial the helpline. A man, complete with white gloves, promptly appears bearing a silver platter with a selection of free ice lollies. Now what's happening here is the Magic Castle is creating one peak moment. Rather than trying to improve all the elements, they focus on adding one peak moment. And that is, in Richard's opinion, responsible for the hotel's popularity. 
It's a classic application of the peak end rule that's propelled the Magic Castle's hotel ranking. And that's because marketers and business can use the peak end rule in two ways. They can change and alter the opinion and experience of a service by altering the very final experience you have with that business or service, or they can add one peak moment. Both of those things could seriously change how that service is reviewed and perceived. Inspired by this example, I decided to apply that nudge myself and use it to grow this podcast. Earlier this year, I was asked to give a presentation at Winter Games. Now, Winter Games is a monthly webinar series hosted by the company Winter. The series brings in a reasonable number of viewers, and I thought it'd be a good chance to promote my course. See, alongside the Nudge podcast, I run the Science of Marketing course. It's a free five-hour course that goes into detail about lots of the biases that I talk about on this show. I wondered if the peak end effect could be used to increase enrollment in the course. See, typically when I give a presentation, I talk about my podcast and the course at the start of the presentation. I introduce myself, I talk about the podcast and the course, and then dive into the content. It's not really utilising the peak end rule. So for winter games, I changed my presentation. I used the peak end rule. I decided to save mentioning the course until right at the end and wanted to offer something special for the audience, hoping that peak moment would encourage viewers to sign up. Here's a recording of what I said. And for those of you who have listened to me today, thank you, all of you. I've got a special offer for you. So in addition to the podcast, I also have a free to access course called the Science of Marketing course. Uh, you can find it by going to nudgepodcast.com and clicking on course. Uh, the course has five hours of content just like this, explaining how each of these um, effects can be used to improve our marketing. And the problem is usually this course has a very long waiting list. Um, I can only usually allow 10 people onto the course at the time. But for anybody who signs up today, so anybody who signs up within the next 24 hour, I will not put you onto the waiting list and grant you immediate access. Or if you want to sign up later, just email me at nudgepod at gmail.com and, and tell me that you've watched this talk and I'll give you access without accessing the waiting list as well. It's five hours, five hours of content available for free. So as you can hear, I really go for it here. I spend about 50 seconds talking about the course and tell people that they can go and sign up right away. I utilize the peak end rule in two ways. It's at the end of the presentation, so of course should be more memorable than when I usually talk about the course, which is at the beginning. And I add a clear benefit, letting people skip the waiting list if they sign up now. That's a lot more than what I usually do during a presentation, so I was hoping for a pretty decent response. Even so, the results surprised me. In the hours immediately following this presentation, 16 people signed up for the course. Now that's impressive for several reasons. First, only 160 people had actually signed up for the course since I launched in January, so over 10% of all of my signups came from that one presentation. It's also the highest number of new students that I've had in a 24-hour period. Even when I first launched and did all the promotion around the course then, I only had 13 people enrolled in that first day. And finally, that presentation was only seen by around 140 people. I've given presentations to much larger audiences, but didn't have anywhere near the same response. Mentioning my course right at the end of the presentation engaged the peak end rule. It increased memorability and ultimately encouraged people to sign up. 
So to help your business grow or to improve your marketing, you should find ways to delight your customers in their final interaction with your brand. Because put simply, we place undue weight on the final thing we experience during an interaction. One of my favourite examples of this comes from a study by a professor, Vincent Hogerheider. See, there's a famous saying, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? Now, arguably, the peak end rule has the answer, end with the good news. But this professor wanted to test if that was true. So he set up a study with teachers and students. In the study, students were given an assessment by their teacher. Now, half of the teachers were asked to save the positive assessment until the end, and the other half were told to share the negative part of the evaluation at the end. Turns out, the peak end effect works here as well. When students received a positive evaluation at the end of the assessment, they rated the assessment as more pleasant and less difficult to process than their peers who heard the negative part at the end. Admittedly, part of this is down to the recency bias too. That's our tendency to remember the most recent experience we had. These two biases undoubtedly work hand in hand, and they can have profound impacts on the decisions people make and the opinions people form. None more so than the opinion formed by former Russian president Boris Yeltsin on his 1989 trip to America during the Cold War. He was coming to the end of a two-week trip across America, seeing everything the country had to offer. Military leaders had shown him ships, tanks, rockets, giving him facts on what America could do. Business leaders had presented about the GDP, per capita growth, and the power of the capitalist economic model. But it was the final experience Boris Yeltsin had in America that stuck with him and changed his opinions. Driving to the airport, Yeltsin asked to pull over to a Texas supermarket. This wasn't planned. American officials told him not to go, but he was adamant. He wanted to see something that Americans hadn't prepared. See, at the time, Russian supermarkets looked like badly stocked warehouses. Tatty and battered boxes, empty shelves everywhere, and hardly any choice. Yeltsin wanted to see how American supermarkets compared. This fairly ordinary Texan supermarket would look familiar to all of you listening, but it looked like utopia to Yeltsin. He asked a staff member how many items they stocked, and she said it was around 30,000. He started counting the different types of salami and couldn't believe how many there were. He asked a shopper how much of her monthly income went on food, and she said it was around 20%. This shocked Yeltsin. Back in the USSR, 60% of income went on food, and the quality of choice wasn't even close to what America offered. Yeltsin had spent that September being briefed on all the ways America was moving ahead of the USSR, but none of these resonated like this final trip to the supermarket. Later, Yeltsin wrote in his book, When I saw those shelves crammed with hundreds of thousands of goods, cans, cartons of every good possible, it was the first time I felt sick with despair for the Soviet people that such a potentially super-rich country as ours had been brought to such a state of poverty, it was terrible to think about. His aide, Sokhanov, later stated that this was the moment, in the supermarket in Texas, when the remaining pillars of communism collapsed. And two months later, the Berlin Wall fell. 
Now, it's not hard to think that the Pekin rule had some effect here. It was the last thing Yeltsin did before heading to the airport, and arguably it triggered the downfalls of communism. It symbolises the power the Pekin rule can have. So if you're trying to run an ultramarathon, if you're trying to grow your podcast, sell hotel rooms, or take down a global ideology, remember the peak end rule. Okay, folks, that's all we have time for today. That was part two of this four-part series around experimenting with nudges. We still have episodes on reciprocity and the Prattful effect to come, so make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss those. And if you haven't already, sign up to the Nudge mailing list, the link to which is in the show notes. If you sign up, you get an email each time a new episode goes live, and you'll get all the behind-the-scenes data and resources, including the peak end running data and the winter talk that I gave. If you want to sign up for the Science of Marketing course, which I referenced during the show, there's a link to that in the show notes as well, or you can head to nudgepodcast.com and select Courses from the top navigation bar. Now, I can't finish an episode on the peak end rule without leaving you with my own peak end message. So make sure you listen to the next episode because you'll learn how I encouraged 140 people to leave me a five star review on Apple Podcasts and why one listener gave the show a one star rating. Check that out in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers.